0: What is up everybody welcome 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 to the second to last episode of season six of toj digital presents draft season i am your moderator Diego osorio joined as always by my right and left hand men joe bellick and michael megan guys how are you doing today Meegs? i'll start with you how are you feeling i mean it's may it's
1: the best time to be a jets fan you know we have all this hype we haven't seen any games to disappoint us and you know
0: it feels like you know the jets are doing everything right so that's true, and a big kudos to the New York Jets social media team that has been cranking out really dope videos that honestly make me think I should start looking up Airbnbs in February in California. Joe, how are you feeling, man? How's, how's everything going with you? I'm doing good, DA. It looks like we may have found our starting right guard.
2: <laughs> when Dan Feeney smashed that beer can over his head, um, I was like, you know what? Zach Wilson might be a little bit better protected than I thought he would be, so that was pretty exciting, to be honest.
0: And I will say, Dan, Fe- Dan, Mr. Feeney, if you're listening, we are an easily, uh, we're an easily swayed bunch. You know, if we see you shotgun beers at an Islanders game, we are all in, buddy. So uh, thank you for that. We also, you know, have uh, OTAs have kicked off. We've gotten some videos about that. Um, we also got J. C. Horn picking off Sam Darnold on, in the first OTA of the, of the Panthers. So kudos to that. Okay, it was not Sam Darnold throwing the ball; it was P. J. Walker. But still, you know that would have probably said Jets Twitter ablaze. blaze. Shout out to to the new Jets beat D. J. Be my enemy for posting that. Um, but thank you guys for joining us. Like I said, this is the second to last episode of this season of this season of draft season. We have one more episode next week, and then we will break until October. Uh, which the first episode may be live from London with Meigs, myself, Joe, and a couple of the other toj guys so we'll see how that turns out but we wanted to kick this off there's been a lot of talk on jets twitter and joe i'm gonna feel the i'm gonna pitch the first question to you like a zach wilson to elijah moore slant in the middle of the field expectations and we're not going to start with zach wilson i want to start with the running game because i think with the jets adding michael carter the original michael carter not that the other guy they added we'll get to him a little later but with the jets adding michael carter they have Elijah Vera Tucker, Makai Beckton, Connor McGovern. George Fan is entrenched at the right tackle position. It seems like that right guard position is the one that's up in the air. Could be Cam Clark, could be Mr. Feeney, could even be Tristan Hodge, who you did a really good breakdown on to, to get Jets fans, you know, used to him and used to his name because it could be him as well. Could even be Chuma Doga, who was play who is with the playing starter reps today with the OTAs. Let's talk about Michael Carter first, though. He was one of your favorite prospects in this class. What are your thoughts in terms of both is fit for this team, but also just expectations, not just production wise, but do you expect him to be the lead ball carrier in this running back by committee?
2: I do. I feel like Tevin Coleman's going to obviously start out as the lead back just because of his familiarity with the offense. But I think Carter is going to end up definitely stealing that job from him. He more than has the ability to take on that role. He has tremendous vision. He's a great route runner. He has great hands. He's really everything you're looking for if you're going to be deploying a running back by committee. I could see him realistically getting anywhere from six to 800 yards, maybe four rushing touchdowns, 30 receptions around 300 yards, maybe even one to two touchdowns in the air. This offense likes to utilize running backs in the passing game especially out of two back sets. And I think he's going to be really used a lot in that regard, especially out of the backfield and even rolled up to the line of scrimmage at sometimes maybe in that slot role as well. So yeah, Carter definitely has the ability to do it. And as I mentioned before, Tevin Coleman is really a kind of an underrated, uh, overrated, oh my God, it was a bit of a Freudian slip there, a bit of an overrated running back. And Michael Carter definitely at this point has better vision to run those outside zone runs. And I think he's going to, like I said, definitely snatch that job at some point
0: and what what are your thoughts on his because I I agree with you I think Tevin Coleman in particular I remember when the 49ers signed him everybody was like look you know Shanahan has the running back that's familiar with his scheme and then he promptly got hurt didn't do anything for two years really had a nice run in the Super Bowl but that was about it Um, Michael Carter one I think brings a bit more explosiveness than Tevin Coleman at at this point I think that's just a fair thing to say one thing that tends to hinder running backs and we've talked about this before you mentioned this in episode four and one of and when you were talking about Najee Harris one of the things you liked about him what tends to hinder running backs is whether they can whether they can hold up in pass protection any concerns about Michael Carter in pass protection for you or and and can you see him coming off the field on certain pass downs just because he's, he's, he might struggle with pass protection he puts
2: in the effort when it comes to pass protection is the technique there no but he's more than willing to, to lay it down on the line and do what he needs to protect the quarterback so is there some concern there sure but I think he definitely has the ability to do it in fact I think at the very worst Michael Carter will end up being like a third down back in the NFL. And that's because he does have the ability to pass block. Is it what we would want hundred percent? No, but I'm not
0: that worried. Yeah. That's a good point. Meigs, Michael Carter was one of your, I want to say he was running back. Correct me if I'm wrong. He was running back four for you right behind Javante. Well, sorry, right behind ETN. Sorry. (laughs) Right behind ETN. But you also said in episode six You said the gap between Etienne and Michael Carter isn't that big for you. I want you to speak a little bit about that and just what your expectations are for for Michael Carter, the original, not Carter, the second.
1: I mean, D.A., just going to start off here. Um, I didn't say that. That was probably Joe because I love Travis Etienne. I thought he was better than Najee Harris. I didn't think the gap between Trey Sermon and Mike Carter was that big between him and Najee, which is probably a hotter take. But I like Michael Carter. I'm really excited to watch him in this offense. I just think, like, what he can do in, like, both facets of the game in receiving and running, I just think he's going to be a guy who's going to go over 1,000 scrimmage yards like Joe predicted. And I think he's easily the most talented back in this thing, in this uh, committee. And, like, with Tevin Coleman, like, he might start – like, he might get hurt week one, but he might get hurt in the preseason. Like, Tevin Coleman is proved to be a fragile guy, and I don't have any hopes for him that he's going to play, like, the full season. I'm just really excited to watch Michael Carter. I think in regards to pass pro, I think that's why LaMichael P. Ryan is going to make the roster is because we've seen him be that guy who is going to be solid in pass pro. And I just think that's why he that's why he sticks. I think Holman, uh, Ty Johnson, who I still like, and Carter and Pirine are the four running backs that do make the roster. And I think that's the thing that you're going to see P. Ryan on third downs a good bit in the beginning of the season just because he's more sound in pass pro than Carter is currently.
0: I like that, and, and you know what? It might it might not have been you. That might have been James, and I'll just assign that take to James. It was somebody who said it in episode six, um, but Joe, I I I want to go to you because I think this is the, and you're our resident O line guy. This is where you get the value really in the Elijah Vera Tucker pick because say the Jets hadn't taken AVT, right? Say they were rolling out there with Mr. Feeney and Greg Van Roten at the the guard spots. That limits Michael Carter's obvious uh, uh, chances of producing at a higher level, I think, right? Because again, you wouldn't have added anything on that offensive line. Speak to what Jet fans should expect from AVT, because I think what we've seen is, and Meigs asked this question in the Slack. He asked me earlier this week, when does AVT overtake Quinton Nelson? Now, I'm making it my mission to start to curb that take, because here's what's going to happen. If AVT doesn't become the best guard in the NFL, I'm going to have angry Jet fans in D.C. running up on me on bars, and I don't want that to happen. But, Joe, talk about what your expectations are for the Jets' other first-round pick, uh, Elijah Vera Tucker. I think he's going to be
2: awesome. I think he's a perfect scheme fit. He's one of the best reach-blocking offensive linemen in the entire draft when it comes to the zone system. And I've talked about it before. This run-blocking team was not as bad as some Jets fans might have thought last year. They were actually 17th in adjusted line yards, and that's with a bunch of guys who've never played with each other before. Now you've got three guys returning, plus you add the AVT to that line. I think they're going to be a much better run-blocking team than people expect, and let's hope they are because this entire offense is predicated on running the ball. Now, what's going to happen at right guard? I'm not sure. I joke a little bit about Dan Feeney possibly taking that spot. Let's hope that he can because he is also, like I've, I did a little write-up on him for the uh, scouting academy, and he's a really good fit for the wide zone scheme as well. So I think from a run-blocking perspective with ABT coming in, those three guys coming back, McGovern and Fan both being just a really good fit for this particular wide zone, I think that we are in for a treat. And Michael Carter, and I've mentioned this as well about him is that he has really good vision. He does a really good job of pressing the line and setting up his blocks. Really good running backs make offensive lines look better, and he has that skill set. So I'm, I'm pumped. I think it's going to be fun.
0: Yeah. I'm really excited, and and I and I, I don't know if you guys know this about me, but I love the run game. When I first started in TOJ, Joe gave me UDFAs for running backs. That's just, that's what he told me to start writing about, and so that I used to do that. Then I did the great uh, grading the running backs. I love uh, I love explosive running back plays, and I and I think I think I love seeing offensive linemen just rag rag uh, defensive linemen. It's one of my favorite things. Meeks, I'll go to you because we have, you, you're a big Denzel Mims fan in this offense, and he was a draft he was second round draft pick for the Jets last year. He is penciled in at one of the starter positions, right? He'll start opposite Corey Davis. What are you expecting from him year two? I, we were talking before we came on about how, you know, I think we all, I think we all agree that Corey Davis is, is probably the guy that's going to lead the team in targets this year. If, some, if he does not, either he got hurt, or something went wrong, I think, if he doesn't lead the team in targets. But Denzel Mims stands to benefit a lot from not only the addition of Corey Davis, but the, the addition of Elijah Moore, who we'll get to in a second, and hopefully a more uh, a rejuvenated Chris Herndon, who's just excited to get away from, from Adam Gase. What are your thoughts on Denzel Mims, uh, you know, who who's slated to start opposite Corey Davis?
1: I mean, I feel like Denzel Mims is kind of being forgotten about a little bit just because of, like, when you watch him, like, how he wins – that's perfect for Zach Wilson. He's the guy who goes up and gets it. He's a perfect contested catch receiver. His body control is awesome. I think James put this in our slack that he's looking a little thicker. He's looking like he's a good 220. He's trying to AJ Brown some guys and just literally be impossible to tackle. So that really, really excites me. I think the biggest thing you're going to see from Mims who didn't have any touchdowns as a rookie is he's going to be a big red zone target for Zach Wilson. I think he's going to come in into that six to eight range. And I think that's really, where we're going to see the biggest impact. And hopefully he can flirt with, thousand yards i think he's gonna probably end up around like the 850 950 range but i'm really excited to watch denzel mims and i'm really excited for that connection to grow and every time every time he scores a touchdown that
0: like every plane this is why i'm hot that's it <laughs> and, and and let's be clear james said that he was thick with two cues understand that with four Q's. So just so you guys know, that's real thick, right? We didn't drop C's after, uh, after it. No, no, no. We went with Q's. James, I'm going to bring, I'm going to bring you in. And also in honor of Q's, Michael Carter is a Q dog. So jet fans, please research Omega Psi fraternity. Now. I don't want to hear any silly questions about why he's branded on his arm. James, I want to bring you in because Elijah Moore was one of your, and again, I'm not tooting our horn, but if you listen back to episode one of draft season of season six, We were talking about Elijah Moore five months ago for the New York Jets. James, what's your expectation for Elijah Moore? And do you share the same fear that I have, that the longer Jamison Crowder stays on this damn roster, the more they're going to start giving him targets? What do you think about Elijah Moore's rookie year?
3: Well, I'm excited for it. I mean, I definitely share that concern just because they're both similar in terms of play style. And, you know, you wonder how you can get both of them on the field if you're doing a predominantly run-based offense where you're presumably playing tight ends. But, I mean, I think I'm excited for it. I don't, like, I don't really think he's going to have much trouble, like, basically taking Crowder's job over the course of the season, just because I think Crowder's kind of, like, a known quantity. I think what Elijah Moore does already is as useful as what Crowder does and then there's the added aspect of him being a young player with room to grow so I think there's going to be more like incentive for the coaching staff to play him over Crowder um so like I do share that concern but at the same time I think that he's going to find the field a lot.
0: Joe I want to go to you because right before we had right before the draft we were going around all of us and we were saying who's the sleeper for for, for the Jets in this class and. I, you know, I tip my hat to you and I've been saying it to anybody, you know, to try to get you more followers, but you said Elijah Moore, you said Elijah Moore and, and you weren't laughed out of the slack. I think a lot of us didn't want to believe that the Jets would take that. I think even the morning of, we were saying, you know, it's definitely, it's probably going to be an offensive lineman, right? I think we were all kind of convinced about that. What did you see in looking at Elijah Moore? And you said, you know what, whoever the quarterback is, right? And at that point, we still kind of didn't know. Whoever the quarterback is, Elijah Moore is the wide receiver that you want to grow with Denzel Mims and if they added somebody in free agency.
2: Well, the Jets offense was really missing this kind of running back wide receiver hybrid. And Elijah Moore definitely has that kind of skill set. And when I compare it to somebody like Crowder that James talked about, I think in the end, he might actually end up having more receptions and more yards because... Like I said, he's this running back wide receiver hybrid. You're going to see him getting catches out of the backfield. A lot more than I think people even expect. You're going to see him getting some carries out of the backfield as well. I wouldn't be surprised if he had about hundred yards rushing and he's just this dynamic athlete catching the ball over the middle of the field. And he's got that yak and that yak is exactly what they're looking for. And prior to getting Elijah Moore, again, they didn't really have a player who specialized in yards after cat. He's just this twitched up awesome athlete who just does magical things with the ball in his hands. Now, Mims and Davis, they have a little yak ability as well, but it's nothing like what Elijah Moore brings to the table. This guy is an explosive athlete. He's exactly what this offense was
0: missing. So drafting him, it made all the sense in the world. Meigs, I want to go to you because I think Joe made made a point that made me think of something that you said. You compared Elijah Moore to baby Brandon Cooks, which... James might be a little young to remember Brandon Cooks, and Joe, and I are probably getting a little bit up in age to remember Brandon Cooks, but you're in that sweet spot for us right in the middle. What what did you see in Elijah Moore's game that said, you know what, that's a young Brandon Cooks, not necessarily so much the Brandon Cooks that got in the NFL, but collegiate Brandon Cooks, which you said, you know, you said a couple months ago.
1: I mean, if you go back to Brandon Cooks at Oregon State, he won, I believe, he was the best receiver in college football that year. I believe he had over fourteen hundred yards. And he wasn't this defect that he became under Sean Payton and then with the Rams when Jared Goff threw the ball down the field. And even with for, for Brady, with that one year, he was a guy who won a lot in the in the intermediate and in the beginning level, and he was really good after the catch. And when I was when Elijah Moore at his pro day ran that six, six, five, three cone in the four, three, five, forty. I went to Brandon Cooks' combine, and Brandon Cooks had a sub six seven three cone. Brandon Cooks ran in the four threes as well, and you see, and Brandon Cooks thing is probably like an inch taller than Elijah Moore, and they're both around 180 pounds. And I saw that athletic profile, and I was just like, Elijah Moore isn't one trick pony, just like Brandon Cooks wasn't. I don't think Brandon Cooks, like Brandon Cooks, was one of the most productive receivers I think we've seen, especially from that like 2014 draft class, which produced a lot of really good wide receivers. And I'm really excited to see what Elijah Moore does, and. Like I'm getting even more amps because you got guys like Reggie Wayne comparing him to Santana Moss, who's one of my favorite Jets of all time. And if you put Santana Moss in today's NFL, I think he's even better. So I'm I'm just so excited to watch him. Like the Jets having real skill talent, it's really just putting a smile on my face every time I think about it. Because Jermaine Curse, like Terrell Pryor, it's a dark, 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 dark guy. I'm glad there's some fun guys we can actually get really excited about.
0: I think that's right. And I think I think we are we have finally moved past the ghost of Chansey Stucky. We no longer have to have to <laughs> have to wonder, you know, if this is the year, if this is the year that he breaks out, that Salim Hakeem breaks out as a vertical threat on this offense. Um, James, I want to go to you because I want to flip it to the defense before we circle back to the to the most important draft pick the Jets have made. Uh, in three years, go <laughs> figure. But let's talk about the defense because the defense—it was a—I think it, it was—it was a lot of dart throws, right? A lot of athletes, which we, you know, we 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 evenly praised and ridiculed during the last show. But let's talk specifically about the defense. I like you share the same excitement for Hams. I think Hams is going to start at one of the linebacker at one of the linebacker spots. Meigs, you're really excited about Jamie and Sherwood. You think that he has a chance to start at one of them? And Joe, you said the big fella the big fella behind Sheldon Rankins, being able to develop and maybe turning into that rotational piece. So James, I want to go to you first before I go to Joe, before I go to Meigs. Uh, what are your thoughts? What What is it about Hamza? And we talked about Hamza three months ago, to be fair. And I said this before. We talked about him three months ago. That you think his transition is going to be much easier to that weak side linebacker role where he where he where just he's able to contribute from day one?
3: Yeah, well, I mean, I think the number one thing that stands out to me about him is that He's extremely athletic. He is very versatile. He can play from a lot of different alignments. He, his length, like he's six, four and you really see his length show up in the way that he'll be in coverage. The QB will throw the ball and almost as if out of nowhere, he will just reach his arms out and pick the ball off. And I think when you have somebody as gifted as him, they normally go really early in the draft. We saw with Isaiah Simmons. Obviously, Simmons, I would say, is like that kind of cranked up to a ninety-nine, but I think you have eighty percent of that in Hamza Nasraldine. And so to get a player that talented in the in the was it fifth round, um, like regardless of the injury history, I think is a steal. Meigs, you mentioned Sherwood.
0: Talk a little bit about him because I think, and honestly, I thought about this the other day when we were talking about, and we've talked about this a lot, right? So we're going to take all the credit for this. The positionless football, that is us. We trademarked it. <laughs> We've been talking about it for months. Uh, but I think both of them, because of the nature of the positionless defense for the Jets, I think both of them are going to play really good reps. But I want you to talk about Jamie and Sherwood because you were—you actually did a deeper dive on him after we took him. And you came away more impressed than you were even before even before we took him.
1: Yeah, no, I thought he was a really instinctual player. Um, I saw someone on Jet Twitter said he was the smartest player they've ever seen. And I just laughed because... Daniel Jeremiah did a really good interview with Luke Keekley who I think it may be the most cerebral uh, linebacker I've ever seen that I encourage everyone to check out. But Jamie was a good player. I when you watch his tape, I don't think he's like that 476 athlete that you just look at like this guy can't play safety like you're gonna, like he's gonna get beat by other athletes. like he does really well covering guys as a mismatch weapon one on one. And the reason I like him at will more than HamSA is I don't want to just make HamSA the will linebacker. I want him to be moved around. Well, Like I want to see if Jeff Albright uses him, like he used Deion Jones in Atlanta. And I'm really, really curious. I, I want that versatility for him. So I just think Sherwood's a sure tackler. He's a smart guy. I think he's. I think coaches are going to love him. I think he's that culture that Sal and Douglas are building. I think he's the exact part of that. And linebacker to me isn't a high important position. I don't think he needs to be like spending big resources on it. So if you can get a, you can get an average will starter in the fifth round. Joe Douglas is spending his money.
0: Yeah, and and I like that you mentioned Deion Jones because he was one of the guys that when Matt Miller made his you know foolish tweet about how the Jets taking Hackenberg and Darren Lee no matter the order that's a steal right and Deion Jones is everybody is the player that people pretended Darren Lee was like he's he's that guy uh, so I agree with you I do wonder also with C J Mosley coming back and I. I think I, I don't think I'm on an island in saying this, but I have noticed that I think he, in, on the defensive side of the ball, he's probably one of the ones that's forgotten because he didn't play, he hasn't played for essentially two years, right? Uh, but CJ Mosley, when he was healthy, was a top three, top four inside linebacker in football, um, and I'm really excited to see how he comes back. But I'm also excited to see if the Jets opt to almost. Almost groom one of them, whether Sherwood or Hamza, behind C.J. Mosley to see, like, okay, well, then next year we move on from C.J. Mosley and we're playing them two together because I think they do both. They do both possess the in-game athleticism that you would want to see from a modern-day linebacker. You do not want to do what the Arizona Cardinals did and take Zayvon Collins and move him to <laughs> move him to the inside. You don't want to do that, Joe. I want to get your thoughts on the linebacker competition because you you made a point and I I wrote this down. You made a point. <clears throat> In episode seven saying that with the front being what it was and at that point we had not signed Carl Lawson yet at that point we had not signed Carl Lawson, we had not signed Sheldon Rankins. we had not signed Vinnie Curry, but you had said if we invest enough in the front four then linebacker, you didn't say it was, you didn't say it was worthless. But what you said was that realistically at that point, you don't even need to take a linebacker high because the defensive line is going to do so much work for them that if you even get an average player, he'd be able to produce in this front. What do you think of the Hamza versus German versus Sherwood battle? And what are your expectations for CJ Mosley coming back? Well, I think the defensive
2: line is definitely the key that makes this engine work. There's no doubt. Those guys are there to protect the guys behind them, whether it's on the second or third level. When it comes to Hamsa and Jamie and Sherwood, what I think Robert Sala is doing here is he's trying to draft players and get players who are interchangeable so that when he marches his base defense out there, they can pretty much line up against any personnel that an offense throws out them, but specifically say 11 personnel, because there is no other personnel that's run more than the 11 personnel in the entire NFL. So say you come out on you know, you're based on a first or second down and you're matched up against a 21 or a 12 personnel and they audible out into, say, an 11. Well, now you got like, say, Hamso or you have or, or Jamie and Sherwood, you could put them out there in the slot and they can cover a slot receiver and say a zone protection. But you could also then take that exact same personnel grouping and put them in a four two, five if you if you so choose. So you'll take somebody like Hamso or Jamian, and you'll make them your strong safety. You'll put uh, Marcus May up at free safety. You'll take LaMarcus Joyner. You'll bring him down to play the nickel. And then you'll take somebody like Gerard Davis and he'll play the weak side linebacker in that 4-2-5. And that's something you saw the 49ers do a lot with Dre Greenlaw. So when you look at this defense and the player he's bringing in, it's really that he just wants this interchangeability. He wants this versatility from his linebackers and these other guys so that can really just ball against any personnel you bring out. And that's why I'm excited about this defense because Salah really knows what he's doing. He's drafting these players for a reason. And the reason he's drafting them is so he could put them all over the place, create confusion, and also to match up against whatever personnel grouping, like I said, is out there. And one of the main reasons I think he's doing this, especially when it comes to creating the confusion is that we have to face it. Most snaps are won before the ball is even hiked. And that's why you saw him put guys, even like Richard Sherman over at free safety at times to create that confusion before the snap so that you could win right from the get. If you could cause a quarterback to take that much longer to process and to figure out what's going on, you have a better chance of winning that play, winning that drive, and even potentially winning the game.
0: And to that point, we've looked at the Jets' schedule. It's been released now. You look at the quarterbacks they're playing. It's a, it's a lot of inexperience, right, at quarterback. They're not, they're not playing the Rodgers, Breeze, Brady, murderer's role that they played from a couple of years ago. Like you're talking about, they get Sam Darnold, right? They get Josh Allen entering year four. They get Tua, right? They, you know, they, they get Drew Locke, right? So I think, I, think what, I think your point is spot on in terms of just how can we make these young quarterbacks see things that aren't really there? And then, boom, you use the athleticism to take advantage of it. I also like that you mentioned LaMarcus Joyner because I think LaMarcus Joyner probably ends up playing more, more nickel, more, nickel uh, more that slot role than he does safety. And I think, you know, this is – I'm going to pass this to James because James, you know, tweeted out that he was not very happy with the cornerbacks <laughs> that the Jets took dart throws on, you know, late in the draft. One of them was Jason Pinnock from Pitt who I will say, if you are comparing him to Darrell Rivas, you have to stop that. That is not a thing. James, I'll go to you. What, what were your thoughts on what are your expectations for some of these later guys, namely Jason Pinnock from Pitt?
3: Yeah. So uh, two like brief anecdotes about him. So I'm watching the highlights of this receiver next year's class named Zay Flowers from Boston college. And I'm seeing him against Pittsburgh and you know, he scores a touchdown and it's on number 15, Jason Pinnock. So I'm like, okay, whatever. Pinnock wasn't too far off and, you know, out of phase in coverage, but then right after he scores the touchdown, he like hands the ball to the ref and then Pinnock starts talking trash right up in his grill after he just got burned. So I'm sitting there, I'm like, what is going on? This dude just got like burned for a 45 yard touchdown and he's talking trash. Okay. So put that aside. Then today, I was like, no, I was having a snack, popped on some Jason Pinnock, so I was like, okay, so I can speak intelligently about him tonight. And okay, so the number one word that comes to mind when I watch him is just disorienting. Like, I just don't really feel like he has any clue, like, what's going on in the game. Like, he's, he's not out of phase completely all the time, but he doesn't really seem like he's aware of like, you know, where the ball is relative to him and the receiver. Like he just seems very out of it during the games. And so like, there's no, just given the quality of receivers he was playing in Notre Dame, which is one of the games I watched and Clemson and Cornell Powell, like those aren't even top end NFL receivers. Those are like backups in the NFL. So I do not think this Jason Pinnock uh, experiment is going to go well this year or next year um, yeah, you know, or after that, to be honest. And understand we have the, the celebrating after you get burned
0: is very much out of the Kyle Wilson school of thought. And that's a no, no, you don't do that. Buster screen and Kyle Wilson have immortalized that, uh, you know, for, for jet fans. I, I think also, I mean, I think, you know, there's been some talk on jets, Twitter that the jets, you know, found three pro bowlers or three future all pros, you know, in the late rounds. And, and I think jet fans in particular, I think, I think we're not used to competence. And so in turn, what you see is an overhyping on guys that realistically, let's be frank, right? And Joe, you had a point about how, uh, and correct me if I'm wording it wrong, more starters were found on day three of the NFL draft than were in the first two rounds, right? Am 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 I quoting you correct in that? No, I don't remember saying that. I said there are just as many controllers found in undrafted free agency. There we go. As they are found in rounds five to seven. There we go. So if you're talking about that, right, like, and that's a fact, that's not an opinion, that's not a, oh, you know, it's really warm today, you know, and it's subjective. It's not that. Um, realistically, the odds of the Jets hitting on all of these picks are very slim it's not it's it's probably not likely right whereas you have a guy like Kenny Yoba right or Tristan Hodge or one of these UDFAs that they got that probably have more of a chance of being or as much of a chance of being successful as those guys Meigs you were very happy about one of their day three picks Michael Carter the second and the fact that they haven't signed Brian Poole probably gives them the inside track to, for for the slot corner position, which, depending on how Lamarcus Joyner shakes out, may not necessarily be a super integral role, but he may still play that dime corner role anyway. What, what, what did you like about Michael Carter II that made you say, you know what, he can play that position in this defense?
1: I mean, I think he's a really good athlete, and I think he's a really smart player. I think James, like, last episode talked about how, like, reading the stories about him about – how he basically knew everything in Duke's defense and he only went to safety meetings, even though he played safety and defensive back. So I like his versatility to play safety, to play slot corner. I just think he's too small to play outside corner. And I think when you go like that late in the draft, like that's just kind of expected. I don't think that's expected of him. But for me, like day three of the draft, like, I like breaking down every pick thinking like you're going to get like a Stephon Diggs or a George Kittle or a Richard Sherman, like, those guys come like once once every four years and great on the teams that do that. But thinking that's going to be something that's going to happen is just foolish. And really, if you can get guys who can play special teams and you can get guys who buy into your culture and then just become good locker room guys, you're probably doing a decent job on day three. So I think Michael Carter will stick. I still like Gavin Guidry as a slot corner. Like, I think he had like four forced fumbles this
3: year, mm-hmm.
1: which was quite like weird. But hey. Yeah, you know, if he keeps
0: doing that again and keeps punchable away from Henry Ruggs. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. All right. Before we wrap guys, let's pivot to the most important jets draft pick. And, and this will determine this guy's success will determine how far this team goes. Uh, and it's BYU quarterback, Zach Wilson, take a second. Overall uh, consensus is that, that, that the jets got it right with him is, is what's been, you know, kind of seen in terms of the grades and stuff. A lot of folks, liked him. A lot of folks thought that he was worthy of being the second pick overall. Um we saw him go second. We saw Trey Lance go third, which you know uh, reinstated my faith in Kyle Shanahan. If he had taken Bach Jones, I would have been very, very upset. And then we saw Justin Fields go to Chicago, which I, you know, I'm going to take a trip to Chicago just to see Justin Fields throw it to Allen Robinson. I'm really pumped about that. Um, but let's go, and to kick it with James, because James, while he's not of legal age to drink yet, uh, I know many establishments that will let him in. So we are going to do that. No, I do not give liquor to minors. Uh, let's jump right into Zach Wilson. And so I think for me, guys, I'll tell you, the, the where I settled on was about 3,700 yards, 26 touchdowns, 13 picks. I feel very good about that. Um, I, the 17th game, uh, if you do the math, 26 touchdowns breaks down to 1.2 touchdowns a game, which isn't a lot, (laughs) Um, you know, and, but I think, I think there's going to be some ups and downs, but I think the one thing that I like about Zach Wilson that I think translates really well pretty early on is the accuracy with the ball and the decisiveness. I think that he is way more decisive than Sam Darnold ever has been with the ball way more decisive than Geno Smith was ever with the ball way more just dis- except for when Geno Smith was told to throw it to Percy Harvin six straight times and it led to four interceptions against Buffalo. Uh, so I'm really excited to see Zach Wilson. I'm also really excited to see him behind Beckton AVT and McGovern and whoever wins the right guard position and George Fant because I think Fant was quietly better last year than a lot of Jet fans give him credit for. And I think he's a really good fit for this scheme. Uh, Joe, I'll go to you because you are a resident Zach Wilson lover. You had him as quarterback one, uh, uh, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, no, I'm kidding, guys. Joe had him behind Kellen Mond. <laughs> um, but what are your just your expectations? Because I know I came in on the on the high end and Meigs, you you kind of line up similar to me. But Joe, you're a little under that you say you'll take the under uh, for the touchdowns. Uh, what are your thoughts on just his first year? What do you expect from him?
2: Yeah, I didn't have him quite around the Kellen Mond range. <laughs> he was my QB4, though. I freely admit that. There were a couple of quarterbacks that would have chosen after him. I'm feeling a little bit better about him, like as I mentioned, because of the scheme, right? This particular scheme is very quarterback friendly. A little tough to learn at first. It's complex. But once you learn it, like I said, very quarterback friendly. It makes average quarterbacks look really good. I mean, even look at Jimmy G. They went to a Super Bowl with the 49ers. Kirk Cousins threw 35 touchdown passes last year. I mean, if like you could have a system that allows somebody like Kirk Cousins to throw 35 touchdowns, well, that's a system that I want to run. And I'm feeling a little bit more optimistic about Zach Wilson, especially since the Jets brought in like a good emotional support animal for him in his buddy, Tristan Hogue, (laughs) who I think is going to help him acclimate to the NFL. I'm just joking around. I don't, don't, just so everybody knows, I don't foresee Tristan Hogue making the 53-man roster. I think he was brought in pretty much just to have... Zach Wilson have a, a buddy in the locker room. And I think that's the purpose that he's going to suit. Maybe he makes a practice squad. But as far as Zach Wilson in this year, I can see, yeah, you know, 23 touchdowns around 300 yards, anywhere from 12 to 15 interceptions and maybe around you know, 150 yards rushing. I think that's a, the realistic expectation. I think on paper that might not look that sexy, but I think it's not a bad year for a rookie It's something to build on.
0: Yeah, and I think that's what you want to see, right? You want to see something that lets you say next year you feel comfortable with him maybe taking that jump from, say, 23 to 20. – say if he's at 23 to 26 touchdowns, and that means next year we need you up to, like, 29 to 31, right? Like, you have to take that next step and then gradually build. James, I'll go to you. What are your thoughts, Zach Wilson, expectations for this year? Uh, are you – is it possible to win MVP, Offensive Rookie of the Year, and Defensive Rookie of the Year? Because we know he's going to moonlight as a slot corner for this team because he's such a leader. What are your thoughts on Zach Wilson and what are your expectations for him?
3: Well, I expect that he's going to do relatively well um, just because I think the coaching staff is going to do a good job kind of easing him in and not forcing him to really be the mother for the offense initially, uh, especially because this offense uses a lot of screens, a lot of running. And a lot of play action pass game that really opens up wide windows. So I don't think they're going to put too much responsibility on him immediately. And I, I mean, I think he'll do well. Like I think a lot of how quarterbacks perform in the NFL is just based on their surroundings in terms of protection, playmakers and play calling. So to the extent that the jets have, you know, moderately good protection, good play calling and pretty good playmakers, I think they'll succeed.
0: And just for you guys, you guys to know, James usually delivers the Fuego takes on Twitter. So before the first game starts, we're going to get him to tell you that Zach Wilson is going to win MVP and that we're going seventeen and zero. Meigs, you you very much liked Zach Wilson. I think you liked him a little bit. You and James liked him a little bit more than, than Joe and I, although I liked him more than Joe too. Uh, although Joe was okay with him. So, you know, we're, I don't want Jeff fans to think that Joe would, you know, run him over if he saw him in the street, but Meeks, what are your expectations for Zach Wilson's rookie year? Are we going full Herbert, right? Or to quote Joe, are we going full Chubb? Are we going half mast? Are we going straight flaccid on prom night? What are we doing here? um i
1: i don't think he's gonna be quite justin herbert just like also not even numbers wise just from like the throws he made and just how talented he looked but i think zach wilson's gonna have a really good year i think he's gonna have 30 total touchdowns i think he's gonna get 26 through the air i think he's gonna have four rushing i think zach wilson's a little bit better athlete than i think most people really give him credit for so i'm really excited to watch that i think he's gonna throw like 12 picks i think it's just you're gonna get that and that'll be that And he'll probably flirt with four thousand yards but i don't think he'll get it um my expectations for Zach Wilson really is, going into year two, I really want a quarterback that free agents really want to play with. Like we saw Corey Lindsey go to the go to the Chargers from the Packers because of Justin Herbert. Like John Dorsey got Odell Beckham Jr. for Baker Mayfield after his really good rookie year, and everyone was really excited for that potential tandem. That then hopefully Zach Wilson and whoever we get works out a lot better than Baker and Odell have. But I I really Zach Wilson has a really good support system. I think this offensive line's going to flirt around like 16 to 20 in the, uh, in the league with addition of AVT and if George fan and McGovern continue how they were. And Beckton takes that leap. I think he's got good weapons. I think he's got all the talent to succeed and Zach Wilson's talented. Now he's got to show us why he was deserves to be the number two pick overall. And within his first two seasons, Ryan Fitzpatrick should not have the record for most
0: jets passing touchdowns. It should be Zach Wilson. That's a stain on this franchise. And he needs to stop. I agree with that. We are here gearing up to do the 2022 draft and we cannot safely say that that record will fall. Something went wrong. <laughs> Something went wrong. All right, guys, before I let you go, as we begin to wrap, thank you guys so much for tuning in to the second to last episode of Draft Season. We have one episode left where we will get you guys uh, a bit of an appetizer for 2022. And we'll start talking about 2022 for the Jets. Make sure you're tuning in on Wednesday nights to TOJ Live, hosted by Steven Zance and Steven Rousseau. Make sure you're tuned in to the TOJ Pod, hosted by Will Parkinson, on Tuesdays and Fridays. Make sure you're tuning in to Badlands. Make sure you're subscribed. Joe is giving away some gifts once they get to 2,000 Patreons. A big shout out to Michael Christopher for winning the two Jets home opener tickets from the Draft Season crew. Uh, You will get that soon, actually. Make sure you send your address to James so we know to email it to you. Guys, thank you so much for joining us for, for the second to last episode of Draft Season, and we will be back next week.